And then it's not just the quality of listening, it's also this idea of thinking I should be useful and helpful as a coach, even that disappears. And as soon as I seem to be able to let go and just be there, all of a sudden new and different things become possible in the space between us. That is Simply Focus with Elva Chani and Dominic Gilda for Live and Joy and Deep. Are you ready for this new episode? Then please welcome your hosts, Elfie Cherney and Dominic Godad. Hello and welcome back. This is episode number 89 and we are in our home base. Last weekend we moved into our new home base in Switzerland and are very, very excited to have our four walls and home, as Bibi would call it, without wheels again. And we are very grateful to have Peter Savo with us us today. He's our very first guest in our new apartment. Hello, Peter. Hi, Peter. You're the reason why we are here. What? You must be kidding. <laughs> you not only convinced me to like Solution Focus, or the main mentor and main reason that I got into this field, into Solution Focus. And I remember my first training with you in 2003, and then your question to do a workshop at the SolarWorld conference in Interlaken. And I was like, no, I cannot do that. All the legends will be there. You have to do a workshop there. And all the things we did together, we had a lot of walks in your home, walked up there and a lot of discussions came up with random coaching and a lot more so I'm just very very grateful to have you here as our first guest and to talk to you today my pleasure and actually if on my deathbed I will be wondering whether there is at least one person in the world where I've made at least a small impact now I know for sure that I can die quietly because you just said that <laughs> that's good to hear <laughs> it's good to hear that you actually make a difference for Peter now as well <laughs> right and I had no doubt so I knew even before you said that that there must be some connection between our conversations and what you ended up doing in your life so no surprise there there were many connections yes <laughs> so thank you very much for that Peter, you're the founder of The Solution Surfers. You're a solution-focused practitioner, trainer, coach for many, mm -hmm. many years. You mm -hmm. worked together with Insu. You actually wrote a book together with Insu. Mm -hmm. And you immersed yourself in the field of solution focus quite a long time already. So to start with, what fascinates you with solution focus? I knew that you were going to ask this question. So I have a prepared answer. Are you prepared for the prepared answer? We're not yet sure. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> okay. And then I hope afterwards we move into the unknown field. Okay. So two things I came up with and one I already forgot. If I think back, one of the fascinating and kind of earth-shaking moves was the moment when my attention and focus of curiosity training people changed from asking the right questions. So before I seriously thought, Solution Focus was about asking the right questions. And then in some discussions with Harry Corman, all of a sudden it dawned to me that what really makes a difference might not be the questions, but might actually be the quality of my listening. So that is certainly one that I think is remarkable and meaningful in this development. You want to know the other also? Yes. The other one is 
probably about three or four or five years ago when all of a sudden the community seemed to start to become comfortable with the idea that we don't need to conserve everything exactly the way Stephen Insu would have done it, but actually some kind of an initiative and a respect for their work grew, but not by keeping it up, but actually by doing what they were always doing. They were not sticking to what they found out, but they always checked back. Is it useful? And what can we develop further that might be even more useful for clients? So these two things. So letting go of the sole importance of questions and then our courage as a community to dare to take things further. These two things, I would say. When it comes to the first one, I know in your trainings you loved and, well, I guess still love, I saw you in Budapest doing it, um, to read stories and mm. to connect it with books for kids and adolescents like Momo. And mm -hmm. I just remember this beautiful part in Momo, which is about listening. And you shared that story, I think, even back in 2003 when Dominic met you first. Yes. So I guess there was... Seeing the importance of listening already back then. So what changed uh, over the years for okay. you? Now we get into unprepared territory and I'm curious about my answers. It's interesting that 16 years ago, I was very aware of the meaningfulness of this Momo quote. Maybe I'll say a couple of words since some people might not know Michael Ende and his work. So there's one specific part in the book where Michael Ende describes how Momo could listen. And the text is somewhat like this. The way that Momo was able to listen was absolutely unique and extraordinary in the world. And her way of listening was not about something specific that she said or something that she asked. No, it was more the way of her being present, sitting there across a person and looking at the person with her warm, loving eyes. And while she was just sitting there and the person was talking about their sorrows and difficulties, as they were talking, someone who was totally desperate all of a sudden started to develop some hope for herself. Or someone who is completely convinced that his life was useless and he was good for nothing, all of a sudden started to discover how he was absolutely unique and important to the world. That is how Momo was able to listen. So apparently early on, I felt some longing about this quality of being present. And it goes even further actually than just asking questions or not asking questions. I have about one and a half years of experience now where when sometimes it happens that in conversations with clients, this totally different mode of interaction pops up. And then it's not just the quality of listening. It's also this idea of thinking I should be useful and helpful as a coach, even that disappears. And as soon as I seem to be able to let go and just be there, all of a sudden new and different things become possible in the space between us. And what do you do when you let go? Mm, I'd like to share the story of the first time when it happened to me. 
And I checked with the client. It's okay to say as much as I say now. And probably if I'm talking about a girl, it's probably a guy or the other way around. I received a phone call on a Thursday evening from someone with whom I've had one or two conversations in the years before. And let's say it's a she. She called me and she says, Peter, I need to see you as soon as possible. And we agreed that Saturday morning she would come to Basel and we would go for a walk together. And I picked her up at the train station. And as we start to walk towards the park, she tells me this epileptic episode that she's had. And it was a very severe one. And she was especially devastated because it hadn't happened in many years. So she was kind of hoping that that part of her life was over. But then on this Thursday, when she called me in the evening, all of a sudden she had a very grave episode again. And as we walked from the train station towards the park, she started to elaborate on all the terrible things that happened during that Thursday. So she talked about the moment when it happened, how the colleagues at work who knew nothing about her condition were shocked about the waking up, about the being in pain, about calling her parents who were devastated in sorrow to hear that her daughter was so miserable. She talked about the colleagues at work who said, yeah, you will be okay and you're so smart, you will and she wanted to hear none of that and then she was in the hospital and the doctors did all kinds of tests and none of that was helpful either so she called me and she said she urgently wanted to have a conversation with me and this part of the conversation took probably maybe 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes. And people who know me from my work or from my training will now probably be as shocked as I was because how come I let it happen that a client, in unrespectful term, complained about the terribleness of the tragedy that happened to her. And that is part of the answer to your question. So how does it happen or what is different? As I was walking along with her towards the park, there were two strings of consciousness. There was this text that went, Hey, Peter, come on, it's 25 minutes. You listen to problem talk. Are you totally out of your mind? 25 minutes and you haven't even clarified the goal for the session yet. This is totally unprofessional. So good that there is no video camera, you know, recording this because imagine what would your students say if they would see. So that kind of internal communication. And, and now that's the answer to your question. And at the same time, interestingly and surprisingly, something else seemed to have overcome me. So it's not something that I did deliberately, it's really rather something that overcame. As I was walking beside her, I was fully consumed with a strange feeling of, uh, and it's more than a feeling, but okay, also feeling of total calm, total certainty, endless relaxedness, kind of like a sensation of everything is exactly okay the way it is now. For a little while, there was some fight between the two voices. Everything is exactly okay. You don't need to do anything. And this, but come on, this is so unprofessional. At least clarify that goal. And at that time, I was not aware that probably what overcame me was kind of similar to what Michael Ende describes about Momo's presence. So while I was walking beside her, I suspect that she might have received some signals about this 
total sense of being calm and certain and relaxed, which is kind of cool probably for a client who is all mixed up and has been in contact with people who were totally out of themselves. So someone who is walking next to her and he's totally, certainly quiet and seems to be safe and okay with it. So as the voice in my head calmed down and I started to learn to become comfortable with not doing what I'm supposed to do, I really mean not doing. So, you know, if clients complain, I mean, we have these back channel sounds of oh, oh and oh no and ah, none of that, not even that in a way that would have been already more on the professional side. I was just being there, walking alongside her. Okay, I want to stop at this point because that's the answer to your specific question, Dominique. You said it was the first time that you experienced that. How did your journey with this presence go on? Because you also mentioned that you have one and a half years of experience ah. trying that out or doing that. Ah. More and more people like that pop up and now I need to change the titles and names. With that woman, it was a client. People who pop up now in my life, it's not the category of clients. So the most extreme example, someone that I started to see somewhere abroad, when we started to talk, she was sent by her daughter. Her daughter said, mom, you know, you should go see that guy and talk to him. And she had no clue who I am, what I do. She had no clue of what to expect from me. She just kind of walked into the place and started talking. And I started to notice that, again, it was a form of certainty that none of the stuff that I should do as a professional coach is at the right place now. Just see what happens. So she kind of, with her clarity that she has no clue what I'm usually doing, she convinced me to actually be there and listen to her. So this kind of conversation that is not a professional conversation and where I start to discover a totally different way of being there with some other person and start to discover what becomes possible. If I'm not trying to be helpful and useful and uh, do the right things, what then emerges between the two of us? It's really beautiful to listen to you and I, while listening to your story and connecting it with Momo, there comes a scene from the movie Momo to my mind. It's not in the book, I think, mm -hmm. if I remember rightly, but there's a German film about the book and there's this scene when Momo sits in front of a bird because the bird couldn't sing anymore. So mm -hmm. the owners of the bird mm. were asking her to come and look for the bird and she sat there and just sat there and sat there for hours and all of a sudden the bird began to sing mm -hmm. so the owners came back home and mm -hmm. and asked her wow what did you mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. and she said well the bird also wanted to be listened to when he doesn't <laughs> sing <laughs> and it's like i don't know it's it, i was really touched by <laughs> when i saw this scene and it's kind of Well, I think really I see there a connection yeah. between people who just want to be listened to, even if they don't talk about solutions and mm -hmm. their preferred future, but 
there's something else about it and then it's easy to start to sing again uh, it's interesting in both stories so the young girl and the mother with the mother towards the middle of the conversation so she was talking 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 she said oh and the pain because this terrible pain that i feel because of which i came here that is unbearable and i just hope it somehow starts the pain is still there and as i talk to you it's very interesting for the first time since many months that i'm fighting with this pain for the first time i seem to see a light at the end of the tunnel she said and the girl as we were walking back towards the train station she says it's very interesting you know when i called you i was aware what the colleagues did was not helpful what my parents did was wonderful and not helpful what the doctors did was not helpful and when i called you i actually knew that i needed to talk to you and i think i suspected that for the first time in our conversations you would also not do what you usually do as a coach so that's kind of reinforcement of this bird story that the bird wants to be heard even with what she's not able to sing yeah and I really wonder, there's another story of my own that comes to my mind listening uh -huh. to you when I had a conversation with a woman once and I just knew it's important to be there and to listen. And I, uh -huh. well, hearing your story really reminds me of what was going on with me because I was just sitting <laughs> there and I felt like in my words, I just felt this heart connection and mm -hmm. I knew that I now have to listen for everything that comes from her heart and I could distinguish between words that came you know from her cognitive thinking somehow mm -hmm. of words mm -hmm. that were really true mm -hmm. and i strongly just listened for those words without saying something mm -hmm. yeah so anyway then we we had this conversation i wasn't saying a lot because i was mm -hmm. mainly listening and mm -hmm. when i left a few weeks later she called me and she said how important this conversation mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. and that she went to therapy for a long time but this conversation was more helpful than any therapy she ever mm. had before Mm. I think there was something about this listening. So what I wonder now is, how do you know when it's time to ask questions <laughs> and when it's time to just listen? And mm -hmm. it seems there is, you know, you make this difference. So it seems there is something about mm -hmm. that. Okay, so this is provisional answers because I am still very clueless with this whole thing. And actually, I hope I will be able to stay clueless. So I'm a little bit afraid that if I know too much or become clear too much about what's happening, it will stop being a gift that overcomes me and it will be something that I try to do. And then I'm almost convinced in that moment it will disappear and go. My reference is when this very unusual and obviously different feeling of total calm, certainty and quietness overcomes me. Then I know, okay, now it's here. And then I know now I don't need to do anything. Until with the same calmness, it might be that something comes to my mind. And then I'm not questioning it. If it's connected with this total sense of calmness, then I easily just go along with the idea, the thought, the story, the comment, the whatever. And so far it seems to work. I just hope I don't find out too much more about it. So I won't ask you any more questions okay. about it. <laughs> 
in the beginning you also mentioned a second fascination mm -hmm. you said about four years ago or a few years ago when the community yep how do you say that and, and how did they go on with that fascination mm -hmm. so in the solution surface core team we started to notice that in our trainings we forgot to do certain things so for example all of the trainers independently without having communicated about it we kind of forgot the part about homework tasks it didn't come up in the trainings anymore and then all of a sudden we talked about it and then we heard how, for example, the people in the team of Brief in London had somehow started to drop it also. And that was extremely reinforcing because I know it's stupid and we should be, you know, self-conscious enough to do what we do. But it, it totally helps if you notice that other people let go of stuff that you're supposed to do also. So I think that reinforcement from people in Brief was very important. The other thing is the miracle question in the classical form. Apparently amongst us in the team started to disappear in its importance. We would still stick with uh, hypothetical questions, but not taking the miracle as the excuse for the hypothetical question, but picking up anything that the client would have said. And then I spent a summer week with the people in Briefing London, and I found out that they had somehow also just dropped it or become uncomfortable with the classical form of the miracle question. And another thing that has dramatically changed, knowing that they're also moving in that same way, is the first question. I hate to call it goal-setting question because I'm very uncomfortable with the term goal now. So early on, as far as I remember, Stephen Insu used to ask, so what needs to be happening here today so that it is useful? And I remember as a young coach, that was really cool because it gave a boost to my self-esteem because obviously the presupposition in that question is that here, while we are sitting, including me, something useful is going to happen. So slowly that had changed to... So what needs to happen so that it will be useful to you afterwards? That was already a large part of letting go of the ego. But then at the summer camp with Brief in London, I heard them ask this best hopes questions. And that was a total game changer. It's all about something totally different and which leads to totally unexpected new answers. And I think it leads a little bit closer to the quality of Momo's listening. Not quite yet, but much closer. I think that's the best answer I can give for now on your second question. And what was it that fascinated you about those changes? Now I become very vehement. I try to stay moderate. I always had a huge amount of discomfort in the beginning years when Steven Insu were gone and when I felt that people tried to deep freeze what they had done and keep it exactly that way. I couldn't explain why and, and I didn't dare to speak up, but I felt highly uncomfortable. And what happened when all of a sudden we seemed to be overwhelmed by changes that apparently we were doing and other people were also doing, I felt so much more connected to the work of Stephen Insu again. For them, it was never about a method, a theory, 
a way of doing. For them, it was always, always, always the curiosity of observing how what they do change and how they change what they do so it becomes more useful to the client. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, what you say reminds me of what Scott Miller said. He put it in the words I really well resonate with. They were talking about solution focus as a verb and not solution focus as a noun. So something mm -hmm. you do, but not something that mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. That is a thing. Yeah. Ah, it's something you do. Oh, yes. Yeah, Steve used to call it the work. Yeah. Yep. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. So much closer to the usefulness for clients again than just conserving a model. Yeah. So if I hear you say usefulness and if I heard myself say usefulness, it's kind of, it gives me the shivers. I'm not so comfortable with that anymore either. As if, yes, of course, I want it to be useful to the client, but I don't want to try to be useful to the client. I think I'm searching for something different than being useful. I'm totally comfortable with it being useful, whatever emerges being with the client instead of yeah, being yeah, yeah. useful with the client yes big difference yeah right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this being together and something emerging out of that is also one of the topics in your retuning books and we really love this book Elfie said it's the book that she should have written <laughs> <laughs> sorry Elfie I'm really sorry well I know but I know <laughs> I had to write it yep. and I'm so glad you did I actually just love this idea of how we called it refocusing mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. hearing the word retuning just made mm -hmm. a huge difference for me so I'm very glad you wrote it and came up with different Happy, words. Yeah, anytime. Let me yeah. know if you want to write a next book. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, Peter, how did you come up with this idea and what is it that, you know, intrigues you with retuning? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can give you a brief history of when and how it happened. And then if we have time, I would like to elaborate on how it changed everything for me. So having written the book changed everything. So short story, I was at the airport in Budapest, Stephanie was ill, I wanted to fly home as soon as possible. And I noticed that the departure hall was stuffed with people and it was kind of bad mood. So I was suspecting something was going to go wrong. And then all of a sudden, there's the voice on the loudspeaker that there was a fire in the tower. And for security reasons, the airport is closed for uncertain time. And yeah, you can imagine, please not to not now I really want to go home and visit Stephanie in the hospital and interestingly they finished the English text and before they started the Hungarian text I was already on my way out to the curb where the taxis drop off flying passengers and they're not supposed to pick up people who have arrived but I convinced the driver that I wanted to go to the train station immediately so that I could catch the night train and in the night train I was still kind of upset about this change of plans and you know I came home 12 hours late all, all of that thinking until we pulled into the Basel train station and Kati Jankowski calls me 
and she says hey how are you where are you and I said I'm in Basel I was supposed to be here yesterday because Stephanie is ill and she asked three questions the first one was how long did it take you to let go of not flying and get to the train and I thought about it and I actually realized two or three seconds so hearing it I was kind of already working on plan B and then Katya has the second question which was so wait 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 I want to know from the moment you heard the loudspeaker until the moment you are out of the revolving door approaching a cab what exactly happened in all detail and she kept slowing me down I said you know I just thought it's a better idea she said no 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 no. I want to know more precisely I said okay probably there was a thought first that from experience flying I know this is not gonna lead anywhere ah okay so she wanted to know it very precisely and by the end of our call a terrible story of life not you know functioning as I was expecting it to function became of a story of my capability to retune to something totally unexpected so that is how it started so if you want to know more about this ask otherwise I would like to elaborate a little bit on what it changed for the rest of my life well Peter would you like to elaborate a little bit what it changed for the rest of your life I'm really curious to hear more about that in my construction of reality afterwards I think I had to write the book to be able to listen like Momo to practice that because to write the book I had interviews with people that I heard that had to retune so someone who just got kicked out of the job someone who was realizing that she was dying so you need to get used to the idea that you're gone etc so and I was not coaching people I was interviewing people about their capability to retune themselves to something unwanted uncomfortable and still to retune to a new reality and I think that is when two things changed I was interested in their process and all my solution focused questions were not so important in that context because I was not trying to be helpful I was just trying to get a good story for the book and as they were telling me a good story for the book they started to realize the same thing that happened the next morning with me when Kati asked I started to realize my capability of retuning myself to new realities and so I started to notice that people I interview have the same experience all of a sudden they become so proud of this process of retuning and which now reminds me of the last example this mom with the pain where all of a sudden while she is telling me the story she starts to realize that something totally unexpected and new is happening because all of a sudden she sees the light at the end of the tunnel and no way with all our smart solution focused questions would I ever have ended up there but by just being there alongside her and she developing her story all of a sudden she pops up at that point and then of course I became very curious so then I wanted to know more about the process of her all of a sudden seeing the light and how that made a difference so there a little bit it comes back but in the mainstream it remains something totally different than trying to be useful as a coach hmm. And it's so good to see that you wrote your book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> I think so too, by the way. And it no, it's no commercial success. <laughs> 
And I always said, if there's one or two people who discover this capability in themselves, then the whole thing about, you know, writing it during one and a half years, on and off, translating it, publishing it in three languages, it was worth. And so if you're one of those people, you'll be my friend for the rest of the life. I certainly yeah. am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was before. <laughs> so for everyone out there who has not yet bought the book, it's available in English, in German and in Hungarian. And mm -hmm. you will find the links where to order it in the resource section of this podcast. Oh, perfect. Good. Thank you. So now it will become a bestseller. Finally. So go to www.sfontour.com slash podcast and then go to episode number 89. So Peter, looking back on your solution-focused journey over these many years, if there is one more thing you have learned that was really important for you. Hmm that we have not yet talked about. And learned is, I'm not sure if it, it, if it applies, but my overwhelming gratitude for several things, and I, I'll name a couple. One is for the first time in my professional learning life, being exposed to hearing Insu and Steve talk about something where I immediately knew this is me being me. This is the thing that I will be comfortable with. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for Insu talking me into writing the book together. And I'm particularly grateful to Insu to insist on making that video also, because I think all of my life after that has become possible because Insu, you know, traveled around the world. And when she was tired, she would put in that DVD. And then after she died, people kind of remembered there was this guy on the video. So I'm very grateful for that. And of course, you will find the link to the video as well in the resource section and to Peter's books. Talking about Insu and being grateful for what Insu and Steve did. Mm -hmm. If there's one story with them or with one of them, that might be your favorite story at the moment. Which one could that be? Okay, now you will not find anything about this. This is going to be my first public confession of something. So it's a total exclusive, okay? On the Simply Focus podcast live. <laughs> And here it comes. <laughs> okay, so when... Insu and I wrote the book. I was very mad at Insu about one certain chapter that she had written. It's the chapter in English that is called How People Change. And I told Insu, look, this is a book about professional coaching, business context, and all your examples in the chapter are about therapy cases. You need to change that. And she said, okay, I'll do it. And then she comes back and said, I changed it. And I'm reading, it's exactly the same text. So I go back up to Insu and say, hey, Insu, is that, you gave me the wrong stick. It's the same story. And she says, no, 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 no. Did you read until the very end? I said, no, okay, I'll check the end. So same text, same therapy examples. And at the very end, she says, of course, all of this also applies to coaching. <laughs> And I was so, now comes the confession part. I was so mad about this that when I translated the book for the German edition and Insu told me, look, you do what you want to do because I don't understand what you will publish anyway. I decided not to translate that chapter. And in the meantime, 
it has become clear to me that the chapter that exists in the English version but does not exist in the German version is really the essence of what our work as solution-focused practitioners is all about. Uh, will they find the chapter also in... You'll find the missing chapter on... <laughs> in the you will find the link to the German and to the English book in the resource section. <laughs> so after this confession, let's come to the challenge of the week. So this might come as a surprise now that we've just explained that I eliminated the homework task from the list. The challenge of the week is a homework task and it's the classical prediction task and it goes somewhat like this and i think it was one of the favorites that steve used to use so a sheet of paper on the left in the left column you put the dates of the coming seven days in the next column you make a prediction will you catch yourself the coming day being present like momo or will that not happen so you make a prediction ah i think looking at my schedule tomorrow and who is coming and who will i will catch myself being just present like momo so not being helpful not trying to do yep so that's the second column and the third column is you check whether your prediction was right so if you do the prediction in the morning in the evening you check was there a moment when i was indeed present or not present like momo now comes the point where you get points you get points for correct predictions so if you predict no i won't have such a thing then even if you had a slight beginning of such a thing, you know, ignore it, cheat, and say, no, nothing happened. So you get a point. On the other hand, if you predicted that, yes, in fact, I will catch myself, and you don't immediately find one, at least make one up so you get a point also. Thank you very much. <laughs> wow, so seven points for everyone. We're curious what you find out when doing this homework task. Please let us know. Go to www.sfntour.com slash simplyfocusedpodcast and then go to episode 89. And also let us know what inspired you with our conversation with Peter, with the story of Momo, with everything we said. And we are very happy to share all the resources we mentioned in this podcast in the resource section of this podcast on www.sfntour.com slash simplyfocusedpodcast and then go to episode number 89. You will also find there the story that Peter told about Momo for not only listening but also rereading it. So Peter, thank you very much for being our first guest in our new home base. Thank you for inspiring both of us for the last 16 years. And I remember the time when we met so vividly and the conversations that really changed everything for me afterwards. So thank you very much for all the things you did and all the ways you inspired me. Hey, and thank you for having me as your first guest. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye. Wow, what a great episode again. Do you also like the Simply Focus podcast? Then help Elfie and Dominic spread the word. Give the Simply Focus podcast a five-star rating on iTunes, Google Play, and other platforms. Plus, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And share your thoughts and inspirations with others. Comment at www.sfontour.com slash podcast, And then go to this episode. This was Simply Focus Podcast with Alfie Cherney and Dominic Godat, your podcast for a life in joy and ease.